introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he pitches it to Mo Williams. Touchdown! You gotta be kidding me! All right, all right, all right, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing the Pocket Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And unfortunately, I guess unfortunately for us, and unfortunately for y'all, Miles can't be with us today. Not unfortunately for Miles, though, because he's out there kicking it in San Diego, eating good on this business trip. But we are going to carry on. We're going to do our thing, and we have a lot of stuff to cover, so let's get right to it. QB1, my man, how you doing? How you been? I'm good, man. You know, things have changed for me a little bit. Just trying to make sure the wife is all right, but she's sleeping a little more nowadays. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing, man. What kind of uh, you you being sent out for any kind of snack runs or any cravings or anything? Any of those popped up yet? Yeah, that's happened happened very frequently, but they happen more so during her lunch hour as opposed to at night. So okay, that's a good thing. Hey, we'll take those blessings. Anything good? Couldn't be me. oh man saxy prince it will be you one day it will be you and uh yeah all us all of us veterans in the game will be will be will be laughing at you as you as you start chasing around the the little princes uh, (laughs) well saxy prince how you been since you haven't been out there you know making runs for fried pickles or whatever it is jr has been picking up here you know, I've been good. You know, the week has been has been a little bit of a longer week and whatnot. Job's been uh, kind of stressful, but you know, we're getting over that hump and yeah, just uh, just enjoying life. And yeah. Yeah, Talk man. The, the weekend is right there. You can see it, you can see it, you can see it. Well, yeah. you know, it's the NFL, and you know, unfortunately, sometimes it happens like this. Where last week we started off and we talked about something that was a little, you know, less uplifting than we'd probably like to talk about. And here we are, another week goes by. Another topic, similar vein. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on it. I don't want to get too bogged down, but I am interested to hear your your thoughts on kind of this whole Kareem Hunt situation, how it all unfolded, how it went down, his ultimately getting released, not picked up on waivers, and just generally speaking, how the NFL has handled this situation. And um, I guess it's weird to say after we talked Ruben Foster last week, but I guess if we think the NFL has made you know any progress or is doing any better with these sorts of things so jr you weren't really a part of the last conversation now you joined us a little bit later the last episode but with this whole kareem hunt situation i guess what are your thoughts with you know i guess the initial story that broke i want to say maybe february the video coming out now and then the video coming out and then subsequently two other allegations of kareem hunt being involved in violent situations coming out kind of after the fact on those as well um yeah what are your thoughts on all this and i guess because you would know better than any of the rest of us was any of this kind of on kareem hunt's profile when you were scouting him uh getting ready for the draft um well just starting back to the whole pre-draft process with him he didn't have any stains or sins on his resume or anything like that coming out so all of this stuff coming out about him is mind-boggling to me and 
you know, it's just an unfortunate situation for him and every party involved because he is such a good player, but you cannot commit domestic violence, especially with this entire Me Too movement going on. And in today's world, everything is going to be glorified. The problem I had with the entire process was that the Chiefs in the NFL didn't pursue the video back in February, I believe it was, when it happened. And now that the video is out there, it kind of makes them look bad because they didn't pursue or trying to get this video before TMZ got it. And now I think they're trying to save face by cutting them. And I think it's a bit of a CYA move by them, uh, by cutting him, because I think they should have did it back when the video came out as opposed to doing it now. Like, what has the video changed or clouded your judgment now for you to cut them as opposed to back in February when it happened? But we all know video makes things 10 times worse, and that's even going back to the whole Ray Rice situation. And it's just unfortunate for him, but I think he will end up playing end up playing in the league again. He went already went unclaimed on waivers, but I think he'll get his opportunity to play again next year. But it's just a tough situation right now in the NFL, and he's just been a victim right now of that entire situation. But I don't have any compassion for him or anything because he was definitely in the wrong with the whole domestic dispute. Um. <clears throat> I, if, if you don't mind, Jay, I'm, I am going to chime in a little bit. And uh, this is, I, in my opinion, this is a very nuanced conversation uh, because there has been a few people who uh, we talked about on the, the football machine last night. But, you know, this is kind of a, again, I think it's a nuanced conversation because some people are dubbing this as a, a you know, domestic violence dispute. Um, and, I, and I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit different um, fundamentally, which when you start to say this, I think it gives a level of like, you're trying to dismiss it for what it is. But I think this is kind of a, a bigger overarching thing that we um, are having a problem in with as a society because we don't know how to, um, I think we, we, we have a problem categorizing things. So therefore we have a problem with addressing it. And then by, by extension, we have a problem with, you know, giving things the proper treatment as it is. Now understand this, like there are people who, um, because of environmental factors, because of mental disorders, because of various things, they the, uh, domestic violence is, is it's a very real thing. It's a thing that uh, affects many people, obviously throughout the world and in the country, all that stuff in the NFL, you see it all the time. And um, but the, the problem is, is that everything gets grouped together as domestic violence, right? And you know this this scenario, you know, when you start to talk about it, and so it's like, well, it's not as bad as you know, like a Ray Rice or whatever. Um, I, I think that's accurate and inaccurate at the same time, because I think there are people who, um, you know, Reef Parrot did this yesterday. There are people who suffer from anger issues, right? Um, that, that do a lot of different things who need, you know, anger management things and uh, anger management type uh, um, programs that they need to be enrolled in and, and vice versa. Um, but then there are obviously domestic violence things. It, it's a much deeper rooted thing. There's that, that's something that is affected as far as your, um, you know, the behaviorally, you see that through with your environment, obviously with your, you know, people around you and whatnot. And obviously it's, it's much more deep rooted mental and or emotional connection that um, you have. So therefore, when, you know, the NFL does try to uh, address some of these issues, they probably just like society, we address it in a very different way. We try to give people anger management classes uh, for something that might be a, a lot more deep than that. You know, it's really easy that to kind of uh, moral signal or hero signal or whatever say, like, I would never do that. Or this person is a scum of the earth. And then we just basically what we do, like anything, is we banish these people to the the opposite end of the earth. And we just hope that they go away instead of 
understanding that in order to treat um, this this thing that that exists in our society, um, we just continue to just ostracize and alienate those people instead of trying to find ways to address this thing that affects like millions of people in this country. Now, what Kareem Hunt, like JR said, what's horrific, right? Um, but it might be it might be another issue that we need to address in and of itself, and that doesn't make it any worse or better than something like a Ray Rice or anything of, of those other domestic violence type situations. It just it's just something that I think as a society, we as fans that watch NFL and the way that we talk about this, I do think that we need to be like we have to hold ourselves to a level of responsibility where we're having a, a, a more nuanced conversation than throwing around. Oh, this is another domestic violence situation. This is another this and that. Um, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, just yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely you're definitely spot on there. Like this situation, like it's bad. It was it was a, it was a bad look. It felt. But it, you're right in that it felt different than like, you know, a Ray Rice situation or, or you know, the things that came out when you kind of were reading the initial reports about a Reuben Foster situation and some of the other things that had come out you know, in times past. Um, I know that we talked about it, but this looked like, um, you know, a sloppy scene that one might see, you know, downtown in you know the club district of, of almost any college town on a, on a given weekend where people are, are overserved and doing stupid things and the intent and and i'm glad you brought up the anger piece like kareem hunt where he stepped over the line in a huge way was just like the level of anger and his response to whatever happened be it you know the racial slurs or whatever you know did go on in that situation the response and, and the level of aggression that uh that was response to the the level of threat that was in front of him was really the big issue from my perspective there is that you know regardless of what that person said, like if he was let go and, and allowed to do what he seemed to want to do in that situation, um, it would have been, it would have been probably way worse than, than, you know, a Ray Rice thing or something like that. So his intent was just kind of out of line with what was going on, but it was just a sloppy, just bad look all around. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, this talented young man um, who seems to have these issues with anger is basically, you know, thrown away, uh, what looks to have been a very promising career, or at least, you know, for the time being, looks to have thrown away, you know, a very promising career over a situation that when you just look at it from what it was, it just looks like it's a situation that he should have known better than to put put himself in in the first place. So, yeah, glad for your thoughts on this one here. We'll, we'll jump along to another topic that is also a difficult one to talk about. But in this case, you know, none of us really brought it up. None of us made it the topic of conversation, but it ran wild through Vikings Twitter. And so we're going to talk about it because, you know, why not? In this case, Joe Banner watching Monday Night Football, watching you know Mark Sanchez go out there and attempt to play quarterback for the Washington Redskins, basically started tweeting out some things about Colin Kaepernick and why Kaepernick should be given a call by the Redskins, why the Redskins veterans should basically say they won't be going back out there to play until the Redskins bring in an option that is better than Mark Sanchez, which, of course, for some reason got people very much in their feelings, which I don't understand. I really don't understand if you're looking at it logically and watching Mark Sanchez go out there and play quarterback, how you could honestly be like, yeah, uh, that guy's definitely a better option to play quarterback than Colin Kaepernick, unless something else has you in your feelings, which really isn't that, you know, we, we don't need to get into all of that. But, you know, it touched off quite a bit of debate. And so, JR, one of the points that keeps coming up over and over and over and over and over again is... Colin Kaepernick doesn't know the offense, so there's no way that he'd be able to come in and and perform. 
And I'm looking to get your take on this from the perspective of a quarterback, because, you know, I did see people throwing around things like Josh Freeman and other things like that. But, A, I guess, how long had Mark Sanchez been in the system? And at this point in the year, like, what kind of install are they doing for a quarterback? How much of the playbook are they even going to try to give you? Like, what does this look like when a quarterback is going to be coming in and being kind of thrown into a new system with not a lot of time to prepare for it? Yeah, so I don't know how long Sanchez has been in that system, but he has some familiarity with Jay Gruden and in previous stints with him as well. I'm not sure exactly where they were together, had some crossover with, but he has some familiarity with that system. But the one thing I do want to say, and it blows my mind and it frustrates me so much, is that why are dual threat quarterbacks seen as such a hassle to change your playbook for? And it's the biggest misconception that's out there right now. And it's not just on Twitter's throughout the NFL as well. There's not a lot of tweaks that you have to make to accommodate these dual threat quarterbacks. There's a couple runs and a couple switches that you have to make up front uh, with the offensive line. I'm talking about to accommodate these dual threat quarterbacks, but, and we're seeing it right now in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens didn't totally, completely switched their offense from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson. They just, they're not running a whole bunch of plays. They're keeping it very vanilla, but they're dressing it up, whether it's with motions or shifts or just hiding stuff in various formations and making it look different. But they're only running 15 to 20 plays at the most for Lamar Jackson, and they're just executing. That's all it is, and it's not sustainable over the long haul. Everyone knows that. It's the whole RG3 thing. When he was in Washington, eventually that type of offense is going to flame out because that type of Russian performance and that type of Russian dominance isn't sustainable over the long haul. So I get that, but nobody's expecting Colin Kaepernick to come in and be their franchise quarterback. They just want him to come in and get through a stretch of games, three or four games or however long you want that to be. The one thing that I do hate is people saying that, oh, Tom Savage is a better option than Colin Kaepernick at this, po- at this point in the season, which just blows my mind because you don't have to make special accommodations or completely change your offense to accommodate these dual-threat quarterbacks. Just That's just a lie and a cover-up to more underlying reasons that people don't really want to say. It's it's funny to me that, I, I you know, as the league is going on, I feel, I feel like, um, when Colin Kaepernick was playing, I felt, never felt as if people had strong opinions about Colin Kaepernick. I felt like until he started kneeling, that's when the extremes, oh, this guy can't play football, started to come out. And, <clears throat> you know, I think, JR, you mentioned that, like, obviously Mark Sanchez has played with Jay Gruden years ago or whatever. But that was, like, years ago, if I, if I recall correctly, right? What, 2011 or something like that? Yeah, and, and they and, just and my, signed Josh Johnson, who hadn't thrown yeah. a pass since 2011. Yeah. So, in my opinion, honestly, you you're, you guys are talking about like these these strong ties and connections that go back seven years ago. If Jay Gruden hasn't changed his offense in the last seven years, or at least aspects of it, that even a guy who might be familiar with even a portion of it can just pick it up. Like that's that's not a recipe for success at all. They obviously lost their starting quarterback. It, it it it's it's tough for them, you know. Obviously, prayers out to Alex Smith. But with that being said, ultimately speaking, Mark Sanchez, Mark Sanchez's ties with uh, Jay Gruden, in in my opinion, should be null and void at this point. The fact that they haven't even been close to each other in several years, 
right? So like there, there shouldn't be any like, oh, well, he's familiar with the system. Like the system should be different, right? And with Colin Kaepernick, like no one's asking him to come in and save this, this, this franchise. Because more often than not, if you – like the, the, uh, the outlier was obviously the Vikings last year with Case Keenum. More often than not, your season is over when you lose your starting quarterback, right? And you're not necessarily asking this guy like Colin Kaepernick to come and save your season. I know that's perception. There's a chance he could just because he has other weapons that exist outside of just, you know, being a pocket passing quarterback. He obviously has the athleticism to do more than just, you know, average quarterbacks with, with not his level of athleticism. But let's have a, let's have a, a legitimate conversation of why people think a guy like Josh Johnson, Colt McCoy, um, you know, various quarterbacks, Mark Sanchez, hell, Mark Sanchez is better or even a, can give you the same quality of play as a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who we have seen be a part of, you know, a Super Bowl contending uh, 49ers. Because let's not forget, Colin Kaepernick was, was the dude who unseated uh, Alex Smith, and they were going to back-to-back NFC championships with Colin Kaepernick at the helm. Yeah, man. I guess, I mean, that's a while ago. And ultimately, at this point, you know, the debate is, is played. Like, you know, every time they bring up, they, they, like, Tom Savage. I mean, we've watched Tom Savage play. I don't care who he has ties to. He's not good. Like, he's terrible. And that's the thing. Like, ultimately, at some point, you just got to be honest, right? And I think that's what we're all kind of dancing around without saying. Like, just if you really don't like Colin Kaepernick, say why you don't like Colin Kaepernick. With Just say it with your chest. Have some convictions in what you believe in and just say it. Versus trying to make up all these nonsensical reasons for for saying why you don't want him to be here. And if there's a reason that you're ashamed to say the real reason why you don't want him here, maybe it's time for some introspection and for you to think about why you're ashamed to really say what you really feel about it. Because it's ridiculous if you're out here standing for Mark Sanchez, Tom Savage, and Josh Johnson. Like, that is just ridiculous. I mean, if, if, if you're going to roll with it and be like that, say it with your chest. Don't be scared, but let's move on. Last topic before we get into these Vikings here. For the for the few listeners that we still have with us here, shout out to y'all. We uh, we appreciate you for sticking with us here. We're going to talk about the Packers, you know? And uh, the thing that I think all of us were hoping didn't happen, happened, but it happened. The thing that made Aaron Rodgers, the thing that what he was really looking to happen, it did happen. Mike McCarthy, he's gone. Gone, 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 gone. And I think it caught us all by surprise. We were just talking about something in the group message and Yinka popped in and was like, yo, they just fired Mike McCarthy. Yinka, just given that it was just the middle of the season, this is the Packers franchise we're talking about here. Did they do Mike McCarthy dirty? No. We've been talking about Mike. I mean, we as Viking fans love the fact that Mike McCarthy was still the head coach. He and Rodgers. So, like, Quarterbacks and uh, Mike McCarthy's office is my coaches, right? So he has a huge say in the offense, right? And considering you have an elite quarterback, like there has to be some kind of communication. And there, that just wasn't happening. There was one, uh, I forget, there was an article that came out in which it was Jeff Saturday was still the center or whatever. And uh, Mike McCarthy calls a play. Aaron Rodgers is in the huddle. And Aaron Rodgers, here's the play. He rolls his eyes. And then call the play and they go and go and try to execute it and stuff. That was in 2012 when <laughs> clearly there was there was this, this rift that's been been that's 
festered within the Packers uh, offense and your star player doesn't like the head coach. They don't, they don't talk, they don't get along. And that's bad because at the end of the day, we sometimes think that just because an elite, you're an elite quarterback and stuff that you, um, you like you're perfect and you don't like, you don't make mistakes and whatnot, but there's like still coaching that you still need to receive as an elite level quarterback. There's still angles and perspectives and things that you might not see that helps. There's a reason why these guys don't call the plays themselves. They have another brain to do that for them. So, I mean, I, it was clearly, it's been a toxic relationship for a while. I mean, I'm sad to see it because I feel like that might mean the Packers might be a way better team, but I, I mean, on, in all honesty, it probably should have happened last season. Um, you know, they, they referred to uh, Mike McCarthy as Super Bowl winning quarterback, Mike McCarthy, like he's, he has all these accolades and stuff. And, and it, yes, he's had a star elite quarterback for majority of his tenure yeah, with the Green Bay Packers. But in, in no way would I really use those accolades as a way to present his name as Super Bowl winning Mike McCarthy. No, like he uh, his team has been bad for a while. And, you know, ultimately speaking, um, it is a business. I, I, I mean, I obviously wish him to, you know, find another job and be able to take care of his family. But business side of things, the Packers did exactly what they should have done a while ago. Okay. JR, where are you at with it? You feel like uh, they did him dirty or, or you feel like this is something that it was just, it needed to just happen and there's no point in stringing it along. I kind of went back and forth with this. And it's funny because I was telling my wife as I was sitting here watching that game, I said, man, they going to fire this guy if they lose to the Cardinals. They can't lose to a two and nine team at home. And it happened uh, like an hour after the game. They said they bought McCarthy upstairs and fired him. So it's an unfortunate situation for him. But I just think that relationship had run its course and his voice had got stale in that locker room. And those guys were playing. They weren't playing hard for him anymore. And they looked like they had just quit on him. So that's probably the biggest reason why he was fired. It wasn't the whole, well, it, it was a combination of a lot of things, the whole relationship with him and Aaron Rodgers, but those guys had just quit on him. And then you hear the linebackers coach, I think his name was Winston Moss, just come out and just bashing Aaron Rodgers on Twitter. So there's a lot of stuff going on, not only within that locker room, but within the coaching staff as well. But I think they did the right thing, even though McCarthy has been legendary for them, 13 years, nine playoff appearances and one Super Bowl win. So it had run its course, and I think it was time to part ways. And our man, Winston Moss, when keeping it real goes wrong, they got him up out of there with a quickness, boy. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> you fired on your day off just he, all the way about he it. Wanted to, he wanted to spend, <laughs> he wanted to spend Christmas with his family. He man. wanted to keep it with his family. He wasn't really about it. <laughs> and man, his, Mike McCarthy got fired. He hit straight to Twitter like, hey, I got something to say. And that is, I am fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, it's uh, we we've, we've been talking for a little while, but let's uh, let's get into this Viking stuff here. And uh, I don't really want to do it, but I feel like I guess we kind of got to Jr. Give me a recap of the Patriots game. What are your thoughts? Where did it go wrong? Yeah, break it down for me. It went pretty much how I thought it would. This team just isn't good on the road against contenders, and especially outdoors, they're just a completely different team, and we just got outclassed by an elite-level team, and we just proved we weren't ready yet to compete on that type of level with this type of team uh, offensively. 
it was a very pedestrian performance. The running game was actually going, but John DeFilippo just didn't want to run the ball. Uh, when they got down seven points, he just kind of abandoned the run. And what you're seeing with Flip is that when they have some negative plays in the running game, he just gets a bit discouraged by it, and he just completely goes away from it because the passing game has been so efficient for them this year, not with positive plays down the, or explosive plays down the field, but just when they're able to nickel and dime down the field with the passing game, that's when they've had their most success this year, and the running game just hasn't been their best friend this year. And even though Dalvin Cook was balling, in a whole bunch of different ways. He just didn't give him the ball in the second half, and that was kind of mind-boggling to me that he went away from him. And I thought he panicked when they had a couple negative plays, and he just gave up on the running game as a whole. Um, Defensively, they just had some breakdowns and some miscommunications throughout the game, and the Patriots just nickel and dined them down the field. And when they had to make some plays, they were able to do that. The Josh Gordon touchdown was a great example. And even the opening drive where they went straight down the field, uh, they just their offense is just unstoppable at times, and they do a great job of incorporating the running backs into their game plan. That's exactly what they did with James White, just getting him out in space against the Vikings linebackers. They struggled to cover him all day long, and they mixed in Cordero Patterson as well. And Gronk didn't even have a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but they just have guys that just play their role and they understand and maximize their ability. Uh, to the best that they can in that scheme. So McDaniels did a great job of stretching the ball horizontally, making the defense run, and uh, I thought he did a great job of just getting his playmakers in space and in positions to succeed. Yeah, man, and that's a great point that you raised right there about how the uh, the Patriots were using their running backs. And I guess I wanted to ask you about something that I noticed when I was watching the game, and I don't know if it, maybe it was just one play that stuck out and kind of stuck with me and, and I'm, I'm you know, overemphasizing it. But it really seemed, like you mentioned, like the Patriots really stretching the Vikings D horizontally, that when the running backs for the Patriots were going out, they were running real routes. Like they were you know, going hard to the flat, and if it wasn't there, they were turning up and like they were running a route versus a lot of the times when we weren't running or trying to run a screen, it seemed like the, the Vikings running backs were just kind of a check down where they went out to the flat and were just kind of hanging around. And it seemed as though on many occasions they were – Kind of, it was easier to to defend a Dalvin when he was just kind of hanging out in the flat versus what the Patriots were doing, which was you know sending their guys across the formation and getting them kind of going at full speed with greater frequency. At least that it seemed that that we were doing with with, with our guys to help them out that way. Yes, can, I, can I chime in real quick on that? Yeah, go um, ahead. just just with that point, this is something a lot of, I've noticed that with a lot of tape that I've watched with how people utilize the running backs. It's to me, it's, it's the equivalent to when I see guys on the basketball court who um, the guys who really know how to play, they're constantly being moved around, you know, trying to create space, all other stuff. Um, but to me, this, it just feels like a stale basketball team who doesn't know how to play offense very well, you know, where they're just like, you know, they get to their spot and they just stay there which obviously a lot easier to defend a guy when he's, you know, he, he's saying he's at, he's at the post or, you know, he's saying behind the arc or whatever the entire time, whereas you have multiple guys moving constantly. Um, that's what you're kind of seeing with some of these like newer offenses where the running backs aren't just getting to the second level and then staying waiting for the dump off. They're getting to that second level. And then, you know, maybe they're going, uh, you know, getting, you know, outside the hashes or, Something of that sort. So, yeah, just what I wanted to uh, interject as far as that. 
And that, that's a really good point. And something that I love that Josh McDaniels does in his offense that it really doesn't happen a lot throughout the league is that what you see with the Vikings is that they send their running backs to a designated area in the passing scheme, whether that's just a similar or a regular check down or just a swing to the flats. And once they go through their protection rules or whatever and see that nobody's blitzing, they'll just run to a designed area. What McDaniels does with his guys is that – he doesn't really have them checking protection for very long, and he has he has them running what's called a man or zone indicator. So what Tom Brady is reading is that he'll see if it's man coverage. He'll automatically look to his running backs because he understands that there isn't many running there isn't many linebackers in the league that can guard James White man to man. So he won't even look what's going on um, up the field if there's man coverage because he likes his matchup with James White against these linebackers throughout the league. So that's why he's getting so many targets. And Tom Brady isn't really looking down the field much when teams are playing their man coverage because he's looking right at James James White and targeting him. Yeah, and, and one other thing about the um, the whole Dalvin Cook first half, second half, and, and you know why wasn't he used more often, um, I went over to Sharp Football Stats, and you know as we were talking about it, just decided to look and just kind of get an idea of you know how the Vikings did from a success rate standpoint. And if you look at the full game, which is, I think, what most of us were doing, the Vikings' success rate running the football was, you know, eighth overall, ranked eighth for the week. So they did really well. They were over 50%, I think around 54%, um, if you look at the entire game. But when you then go and just take it and look at the second half, that success rate drops from, you know, 54 down to 33%. And so I guess couple things to ask. I guess, JR, you did mention, you know, there were some negative plays and, and, and Flip kind of went away from it. Um, was New England doing something differently in the second half that, that caused the Vikings run game to struggle so much? And given how little success they were running from a success rate standpoint, does it make sense that they went away from, from the run or would you have still kept trying to go back to it to, to see if you could make it work? No, they didn't really make many adjustments. Their defense is just so disciplined. I thought they cleaned up a bit of some things. I know what happened in the first half was that Flip was really running the ball to the perimeter as opposed to right up the middle. I know early on in the game, Dalvin Cook had an explosive play on the second or third drive of the game. I can't really remember where they had a perimeter run in the cornerback. They were for, they were forcing their corners to make tackles, and they just weren't able to do it. Dalvin Cook was able to make uh, – I can't remember the guy's name right now. It slips my mind. Uh, J.C. Jackson, that's his name. Um, he was able to make him miss in space, and he was able to get an explosive run of about 25 yards. So uh, he he just went away from the perimeter runs in the second half, and I think Dalvin only had three carries in the second half. So that probably was a reasoning for the steep decline in the second half. He just didn't go back to the running game because once they got down 17-10, to 10, I believe it was, he just felt like he had to throw the ball a bit more, which wasn't the case. If he would have just stuck with the run a little bit more, I think they would have eventually popped some big ones. Okay. Well, that's a perfect segue to uh, the next you know, topic of conversation is uh, there's a bit of tension brewing, which is, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pretty loud. Zimmer hasn't really been pulling any punches about how he feels about what's going on with the offense and the performance. And uh yeah, Prince, I guess you can chime in on this one first. Uh, what are your thoughts on this ongoing beef with, uh, I guess really we'll say more Zimmer, because it's not like Flip's out there, you know, throwing shade, but between uh, 
you know, you know, Zimmer and and his current offensive coordinator. And I mean, if we're being honest, this isn't really the first time. I mean, Zim's had issues with offensive coordinators really since he got here. Um, yeah, and I guess what are your thoughts on this? And is this a Zim issue? Is it a flip issue? Like, what's going on from the, from your perspective and how you're looking at it? Yeah, I mean, you brought up you brought up the the kind of the main point that I was going to bring up. You know. If it's the first time, then yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, maybe this is just like a North Turner issue or whatever. Um, but this is the second time that we're, we're kind of seeing it. And I think, I think some of the issue is, I think Zimmer might still be thinking at, uh, as himself as a defensive coordinator, right? And as a, as a coordinator, it's really easy to be like, yo, I'm doing my job. Like, I'm making sure the defense is looking great, looking fantastic. Like, you need to figure out what it is about your offense that's it, that keeps getting us in these kind of positions where I, I think Zim needs to switch his thinking. I think he needs to think like a head coach. Like if the offense is not working is just as much on him as it is on uh, DeFilippo. The offense is not working as a head coach. You need to go to your OC and be like, yo, we need to start trying to do this. We try to do this because at the end of the day, if Zim is this defensive guru as well too, uh, it would be just as helpful for him to be like, yo, this is what I'm seeing uh, opposing defenses doing. This is what I try to do to make it harder for the offense. So this is how you can, you know, maybe cater certain aspects of your uh, of your offense to maybe, you know, open some things up and maybe get digs and uh, feeling open a little bit more so and incorporate Dalvin the way that we need to. Because um, this is what I'm trying to do on defense. So let me know what I can do to help you. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think this is more of a Zimmer problem, even though I still think that Filippo is – is in part to blame and whatnot. I think he is a little bit inexperienced when it comes to play calling. Um, I do think that he is um, a, a good offensive mind. I think that he needs another offseason to really put together his offense. Um, but I, I, I still put majority of the blame on Zimmer because I, I, I unfortunately think that he is still thinking like a defensive coordinator and not a head coach. Okay. All right. I mean, we went over it last week, so I'm not going to get in why – I don't know. I feel like I might disagree a little bit with Zim getting more involved with the offense since it's not really his, his strongest suit, but I'm, I'm going to ask JR a different question instead and say, JR, what's actually wrong with this offense? Like what's going on? Well, there was a narrative floating out there that John DeFilippo was just trying to be a little too cute and maybe trying to prove to outsiders that he has this fancy offense that is very efficient and that is up to date. And he's trying to prove to other GMs or owners around the league that he's some offensive guru. And I just think that's completely false. I just don't think he has the personnel that really matches his offense or what he wants to run. And if you think about everywhere where he's came from, whether it was Oakland or Cleveland or even Philadelphia, that those teams have been built on the offensive line. So they've been able to run certain concepts that this team maybe isn't fit to build or fit, fit to run, excuse me. Because we all know the Vikings Achilles heel right now is that offensive line and they have more of a finesse or a zone type of offensive line as opposed to power and strong strength offensive line up front like those previous teams have had in previous stops that he has been. So a lot of those schemes have been based upon having a stronger or offensive line that can overpower people and the Vikings offensive line just doesn't have that. So. I just don't think the type of offense that he wants to incorporate here in Minnesota just matches his scheme and how he's trying to overcome that is by throwing the ball a bit more so he can get those big gaudy numbers that he does want like they had in Philadelphia and when he was there in Oakland. So 
it's going to be interesting to see if he is here next year, what adjustment he does make. And I completely agree with Prince and that he probably needs another year just to see exactly knowing what he knows now, what adjustments does he make to match his personnel that he does have. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to ask the question, uh, cause I guess, cause yeah, cause I asked the questions and stuff, but I'm going to ask the question. I feel like, uh, We've been we've been we've been dancing around a little bit as as the season has kind of worn on and some of these big games have happened and things have not maybe gone the well the way that we want to. Um, how much of the, I guess the anger or 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 the scorn that we're seeing towards uh, Di Filippo, um, is because everything is actually his fault, or is it because? of the people who might be at issue. So in this case, DeFilippo and Kirk Cousins, DeFilippo is really the only one we can get rid of because I mean, this game now, this game with the Patriots, I mean, is I think they went back and football outsiders, uh, Scott from football outsiders posted something where, you know, Kirk Cousins had 40 pass attempts for under 300 yards earlier in the season. And he had this game against the Patriots, which was, again, just God awful throwing checkdowns and from clean pockets. Both of his interceptions were from clean pockets. And I feel like a lot of the things that DeFilippo is being blamed on a lot of the time aren't necessarily about the scheme. As Luke put on the timeline today in a really great thread, it feels like a lot of the time it's also coming down to execution. Like how much of this is coming back to Kirk Cousins from what you're seeing and what can he improve on to help this offense get back on track here? And this is why I was saying early on when the game actually was on was that Kirk Cousins was just getting a little too trigger happy. And what I mean by that is he was letting the ball go much quicker than what he had to. And that's just not having much trust in his offensive line. And what you saw with him was that he was getting the ball out extremely quick to his checkdowns, Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook, when he did have guys open downfield. And I think Fox showed a replay on a third and short where he had Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. And I believe another Kyle Rudolph was open as well. So he was just letting go of the ball way too soon because he had, he didn't feel like he had as much time as he needed back there. And that's something that we see throughout this year as well he has more time back there than he think he does have and I think that's something Kirk Cousins has to improve on and it's been inconsistent his his mental clock has been very inconsistent this year sometimes he holds holds on to the ball way too long and what we'll see is he starts patting the ball back there and uh, some of his offensive linemen will be pushed back into him and his mental clock just needs to improve or become more consistent because it was going off way too soon last game and other weeks or previous weeks he's held on the ball too long yeah, and and I guess Prince, from your perspective, um, did the Patriots show the league the blueprint for for shutting down this Vikings offense? Because I don't think going into this game, I mean, if you looked at the Patriots statistically, their defense wasn't great. They had an okay defense kind of coming into this game, um, but it seemed as though their defensive uh, kind of plan, game plan, going into this game, which is basically. We're going to double team Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, and we're going to see if you can beat us with the other people on your roster. Is that the blueprint? Is that just what everyone's going to do when they see us now is uh, take away the two outside receivers and see if Kirk Cousins can beat us with, with the rest of the guys? I mean, the blueprint for how to beat the Vikings was when we faced the Bills. I mean, the blueprint's been out there. It's just that, you know, the, obviously the Vikings have been able to, in certain circumstances, overcome, you know, some of those uh, – 
you know, weaknesses that they that they show. But yes, uh, I mean, hold on, I, I'm just going to interject for a second because I don't know if that's necessarily fair. The Bills have a very good defense. Like the Bills team overall <laughs> isn't good. But the Bills have a very strong defense. They have great players. They have great corners. Like the the Bills have a good defense. They just have a bad team in part because their quarterback is Josh Allen. So well, like I don't know like what the Bills did. Not every team can do. But the Patriots they don't have a great defense, and they were still able to come up with a game plan that neutered our passing game going into that basically neutered our passing game. Like Kirk Cousins' stats were were horrendous coming out of this game, and the Patriots aren't what anyone would call a dominant defense. No, no, and, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, Jason. Is uh, my assumption is moving forward. Let I, I just assume the Vikings are going to get into the playoffs, right? And I think that the Vikings are going to face defenses that are probably better than the Patriots are. Um, it might not be to the levels of the Bills, but again, with uh, matching up with what the, the the league already knows that the Vikings want to do, mixed with a defense that's going to be better. I think that that's that that right there has been the blueprint on how to beat the Vikings. You double team Adam Thielen, literally putting two guys on on Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Um, that you force Kirk Cousins to beat you. You force the Filippo to come up with a more unique way with how to win. This is honestly, it's like it's a chess match, right? Like the the moves that the teams are going to make is like we're taking away Diggs and Thielen. It's up to both the Filippo and Cousins to be like. This is what we have to do to win. And so far, they haven't been able to consistently come up with a plan that isn't the Diggs and Thielen show. And that's what I mean by the blueprint has really always has been there since like week two, because we've kind of known take away Diggs and Thielen. Like, what is the Vikings offense? They don't have an identity at all on offense outside those two guys. I mean, there's there's not been really anybody who's had an all-star game where we're just like, oh, man, this is such and such coming out party outside of, like, Aldrick Robinson's two-touchdown game. So Treadwell had almost 50 yards that one time. Yeah, that, that, that was true, yes. But I don't, I don't think that the, the Patriots exposed anything that we didn't already know to be there or the league didn't already know to be there. It's just that because of Bill Belichick's brain, he's able to, you know, not everyone has top, two, three, four corners where they can do that to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. So it's a lot harder for them to roll coverages over to them and just literally ask if I'm letting you have anybody open besides these two players, figure something else out. So I, like, like I said, I, I just think that the, the blueprint has always been there. Um, it's just that Bill Belichick is, is smarter than most to be able to make, you know, maybe not as good corners look and be able to operate within their scheme way better to to shut down a, a team like the Vikings. All right. Well, I'm glad you said it. Right now, like you said, the odds do favor us getting to the playoffs. I think we're at around 54% chance going into this game that we get to the playoffs. So, you know, in, in, in the spirit of, of helping those odds out, JR, break down for me this Seattle game, what you're going to be looking at, and uh, ultimately what these Vikings need to do to shut down Russell Wilson and uh, the Seattle Seahawks heading into this game. This is another really tough matchup, guys, and similar as last week, they're going to try to establish the run. That's what they have done this year. They're the only team in the league with more rushing attempts than passing attempts. I believe they have around 385 rushing attempts and around 325 passing attempts. So they're going to try to establish the run. That's what they want to do. That's been their blueprint this year. 
Uh, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and Mike Davis has been their three running back workload for the most part. And what they've done this year offensively is they've basically put Russell Wilson in the glass case, and they only take him out of that glass case when they need him because they've heavily relied on that running attack. And once they establish that running attack, that's when they get their play action going, and that's when Russell Wilson is able to create some off-script plays as well. So, And they're not just a running team. They're able to generate some explosive plays down the field as well, Tyler Lockett and um, those guys on the perimeter have been really good this year as well. So not to take anything away from their passing game as well. They've been great in that area as well, but they've heavily relied on that running game for the most part this year, and it's helped their offensive line out tremendously as well. It's not just getting rid of Tom Cable in there. <laughs> They've magically gotten better. The running game has helped them a lot, and they're playing much better up front as well defensively. And <laughs> with their defense, it's just amazing how first-rounders are able to go there and have some success. Deion Jordan has revived his career, and Barkevius Mingo has also revived his career there as well. A couple of former First round picks that are playing really well. Uh, their secondary is just a cast of characters right now. A bunch of guys you wouldn't recognize, and you guys probably couldn't even name two guys in that secondary right now. But they're playing really well together because that front seven is taking so much pressure off of them. Uh, Bobby Wagner is still playing at an extremely high level. Uh, Michael Kendricks is coming back off a of suspension this week, so it'll help them in the depth department there. But their front seven is playing extremely good. Frank Clark is a stud. And their secondary isn't great, but they're keeping the pressure off of them because that front seven is generating so much pressure. So the Vikings are going to have another challenge uh, offensively, but I think if they're able to protect Kirk Cousins, they can have their way with this secondary. I don't think their secondary is even as good as the one we played against last week. So they're going to try to establish the run against these guys, which they, which they should able to have some success in that area. But I think they really are going to be able to throw the ball over their head this week. Okay, Prince, who is the player on Seattle, not named Russell Wilson, that scares you the most on their offense? Who should we really be looking at? Who should the Vikings have a game plan for coming into this game? I mean, I, I still think Doug Baldwin is, is is such an underrated talent on that offense. Uh, I think that's a guy that Russell Wilson is going to continually be looking for. Um, I know that, you know, with you know, maybe with some uncertainty with Xavier Rhodes or you know Trey Waynes, whatever the case have you, um, I do I do think that that's a guy that you're going to need to find some um, like a consistent matchup that you know that you can win uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So Doug Baldwin would be my guy that I I think the Vikings need to do a really good job bottling up. And uh, I mean Doug Baldwin's all right. I mean the right answer is obviously Tyler Lockett, my man. But you know Doug Baldwin is also acceptable. And you know Jr. mentioned that you know they've been keeping Russell Wilson in glass and they only break him out when they need him. And just as a you know we'll we'll run through this this quarterback comparison from uh, from Pro Football Focus here. So you know quarterback grade Russell Wilson's got the edge at uh, eighty five point three over Kirk Cousins at eighty point four. Both of those pretty good. Passer rating when clean. This is when things get a little crazy, though. Russell Wilson's passer rating when clean season to date is 125.5. That's nuts. His passer rating when under pressure is 90 as 92. And his big time throw percentage is 7.52 compared to Kirk Cousins at 4.31. That's uh that's Jeez. obscene. That is obscene. <laughs> wow. That is obscene. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, the Vikings defense is going to have their work cut out for them, uh, you know, slowing down Russell Wilson. 
because, uh, you know, he's not throwing a lot, but he's been super efficient when he is throwing it. So, uh, yeah, another another tall task for the defense. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the kind of game plan that they come at with this one here. JR, before we wrap things up on this game here, I guess from your perspective on defense, give me a player who's not named Bobby Wagner who might be able to blow up the game for Seattle and someone that we're really going to have to have a game plan for for when the Vikings are on offense. Oh, it's Frank Clark, without question. He's one of the better edge rushers throughout the entire NFL. They're probably going to have to chip him a couple times and keep Kyle Rudolph or a tight end in on some protections just to help those guys out because he is a guy that is very twitchy off of the edge, and he he can cause some some problems off of the edge, whether that's lined up over Riley Reef or Brian O'Neill. They're going to have to have a game plan or a scheme for him just to slow him down because he can cause some issues. All right. And uh, rapid fire, last question for both of you guys on this game. Of the players on the Vikings injury report, which one is uh, most concerning for you that uh, that might miss this game? JR, we'll start with you. Uh, I believe Diggs was on there with a knee injury. I think he was limited today, so. I definitely – well, no, let me switch that. I would go with Eric Kendricks because they're going to have to have a spy on Russell Wilson somehow, some way, and we're going to need both Barr and Kendricks this game just to be able to contain Russell Wilson. One of those guys are going to have to be a spy on every single pass and play just because he's so dangerous and being able to create those off-schedule, off-script plays, somebody's going to have to spy him in the middle of the field. So they desperately need Eric Kendricks this game. All right. Saxy Prince, same question to you. Of the players in the injury report, which one is most concerning for you if they miss this game? Um, I'll, I'll probably say Xavier Rhodes. I wasn't going to go with Eric Hendricks, but Xavier Rhodes will be another good one. Um, obviously, like the numbers that you just spit out, Jason, with what Russell Wilson can do to uh, do to a team is is all the more reason why you need to have as many healthy corners as possible. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say Xavier Rhodes. Those are both very good answers. They are both wrong, however, because the right answer is David Morgan. I hope you do better next week, gentlemen. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll move this thing along here. Uh, gentlemen, I need uh, some bold predictions. I need some score predictions. So, Saxy Prince, lead us off here. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is going to be a three-touchdown game from Kirk Cousins. Okay, okay. For 350-plus yards. Wow. So, gonna, uh, so you're saying we're going to lose? <laughs> good Lord. Going, we are still going to lose this game. It's tune of 26 to uh, 24. Seattle. Okay. Yeah, because Kirk Cousins throwing for a lot of yards is usually not a great sign for us. But Jr., uh, what you got for us here? What's your uh, what's your bold prediction? What's your score prediction? I don't feel good about this one at all, fellas. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, I'm gonna go Seahawks 27-23. Um, bold prediction. This is tough for me. I just go back to Daniel Hunter. I just say he gets three sacks. Three sacks for Daniel Hunter. Okay, let me make sure I uh, make sure I get this in here. And yeah, Hunter, three sacks. All right, and um, hmm. 
bold prediction. Shoot, I don't even know here. What am I going to go with from a bold prediction? Uh, it's not even that bold. I'm going to say Russell Wilson, virtuoso performance. Russell Wilson throws four, three touchdowns, runs another one in. Seahawks win 35-24. We're going high scoring here. 35-24 Seahawks. And I just realized I put Seahawks once. I put Seattle once. Probably should make that the same all the way across. All right. And uh, that brings us to the end of things. Uh, JR, anything you're cooking up, anything you're working on, anything we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so my next scouting report was just posted today. Uh, it's on LSU cornerback Greedy Williams. So go check that out inside the pylon.com. Four. And so is it up now? Can I go ahead and link to it right yes. away, or is it up it's, tomorrow morning? It's up there right now. Awesome. All right. And uh, Saxy Prince, I mean, you've been a little quiet on the writing front here of late. What's going on? What you got cooking up, man? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a, something that I was uh, going to come out with, and then the Vikings kind of just ruined basically the premise of everything. So um, so I kind of scrapped that. But there is something that I, I am working on actually with a reef next Monday. We're, we are going to be doing what's called booth casting. Uh, basically, we're, it's this uh, new platform that uh, is being launched where – you know, you can be a little bit more interactive. We're just kind of be uh, similar to like a podcast format, but we're just going to be, uh, you know, we're kind of kind of be talking through the game, telling uh, viewers what we're seeing. People can chime in, send us questions, all other stuff. So, yeah, we're pretty excited to give this uh, give us a shot. That'll definitely be interesting. And uh, so, like, how would people be able to watch it? Is it something that's going to be, like, on an app? Is it going to be, like, a web? Like, how, how does it all yeah. work? Yeah, they can, like, essentially we'll be talking. People can, like, listen in. Um, and uh, and then I think they have the ability through their computers to send video responses or questions and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of similar to what me and Reef kind of do, like, already during games. Uh, Reef a little bit more on the X's and O's sides of, of what's happening during the games. Uh, but yeah, just like kind of commentary. I know that people constantly complain about, oh, we have you know Joe Buck or you know this person is the broadcast or whatever, and it just like they just get tired. Sometimes they just prefer to listen to, um, you know, guys that they like on 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 Twitter to talk about games and stuff. So um, yeah, I think it'll be like a really cool uh, way to just be a little bit more interactive with Twitter and, and whatnot. Well, that'll definitely be dope, and we'll definitely be checking that out. So, uh, all right. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. Gentlemen, as always, thanks for coming on. Miles, keep holding it down out there in San Diego. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. Talked about a lot of stuff, covered a lot of topics. And, uh, yeah, we will be back soon. Have a good one.